Chapter Twenty Five of Kate Bonnet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meg Turasek. Kate Bonnet by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter Twenty Five Wise Mr. Delaplaine. Early in the next forenoon Kate and her companions prepared to make another visit to the town. Naturally she wanted to be with her father as much as possible, and to exert upon him such influences as might make him forget, in a degree, the so-called glories of his pirate life and return with her and her uncle to Spanish town, where, she believed, this misguided man might yet surrender himself to the rural joys of other days. Nay, more, he and she might hope for still further happiness in a Jamaica home, for Madame Bonnet would not be there. As she came up from below, impatient to depart, Kate noticed, getting over the side, a gentleman who had just arrived in a small boat. He was tall and good-looking, and very handsomely attired in a rich suit such as worn at that day by French and Spanish noblemen. A sword with an elaborate hilt was by his side, and on his head a high-cocked hat. There was fine lace at his wrists and bosom, and he wore silk stockings and silver buckles on his shoes. Kate started at meeting here a stranger, and in such an elaborate attire. She had read of the rich dress of men of rank in Europe, but her eyes had never fallen upon such a costume. The gentleman advanced quickly towards her, holding out his hand. She shrank back. What did it mean? Then in a second she saw her father's face. This fine gentleman this dignified and graceful man, was indeed Steed Bonnet. He had been so thoroughly ashamed of his mean attire on the preceding day that he had determined not again to meet his daughter and Mr. Delaplaine in such vulgar guise. So, from the resources of the storehouses, he had drawn forth a superb suit of clothes, sent westward for the governor of one of the French colonies. He excused himself for taking it from Blackbeard's treasure-house, not only on account of the demands of the emergency, but because he himself had taken it before from a merchant-man. "'Father!' cried Kate. "'What has happened to you? I never saw such a fine gentleman.' Bonnet smiled with complacency and removed his cocked hat. "'I always endeavour, my dear,' said he, to dress myself according to my station. Yesterday, not expecting to see you, I was in a sad plight. I would have preferred you meet me in my naval uniform, but as that is now, to say the least, inconvenient, and as I reside on shore in the capacity of a merchant or businessman, I attire myself to suit my present condition. Ah, my good brother-in-law, I am glad to see you. I may remark, he added, 
graciously shaking hands with Dame Charter, that I have left my faithful Scotchman in our storehouse in the town, it being necessary for someone to attend to our possessions there. Otherwise I should have brought him with me, my good Dame Charter, for I am sure you would have found his company acceptable. He is a faithful man and an honest one, although I am bound to say that if he were less of a Presbyterian and more a man of the world, his conversation might sometimes be more agreeable. Mr. Delaplaine regarded with much earnestness and no little pleasure his transformed brother-in-law. Hope for the future now filled his heart. If this crack-brained sugar-planter had really recovered from his mania for piracy and had a fancy for legitimate business, his new station might be better for him than any he had yet known. Sugar-planting was all well enough and suitable to any gentleman, provided Madame Bonnet were not taken with it. She would drive any man from the paths of reason unless he possessed an uncommonly strong brain and he did not believe that such a brain was possessed by his brother-in-law Bonnet. The good Mr. Delaplaine rubbed his hands together in his satisfaction. Such a gentleman as this would be welcome in his counting-house, even if he did but little. His very appearance would reflect credit upon the establishment. Dame Charter kept in the background. She had never been accustomed to associate with the aristocracy but she did not forget that a cat may look at a king, and her eyes were very good. "'There were always little cracks in his skull,' she said to herself. "'My husband used to tell me that. Major Bonnet is quick at changing from one thing to another, and it needs sharp wits to follow him.' After a time Major Bonnet proposed a row upon the harbour. He had brought a large boat, with four oarsmen, for this purpose. Mr. Delaplaine objected a little to this, fearing the presence of so many pirate vessels, but Bonnet loftily set aside such puerile objections. "'I am the business representative of the great Blackbeard,' he said, "'the most powerful pirate in the world. You are safer here than in any other port on the American coast.' When they were out upon the water, Moving against the gentle breeze, Bonnet disclosed the object of his excursion. "'I am going to take you,' said he, "'to visit some of the noted pirate ships which are anchored in this harbour. There are vessels here which are quite famous, and commanded by renowned brethren of the coast. I think you will all be greatly interested in these, and under my convoy you need fear no danger.' Dame Charter and Kate screamed in their fright, and Mr. Delaplaine turned pale. "'Visit pirate ships!' he cried. "'Rather, I would have supposed that you would keep away from them as far as you could. For myself, I would have them a hundred miles distant, if it were possible.' Bonnet laughed loftily. "'It will be visits of ceremony that we shall pay,' and with all due ceremony shall we be received. "'Pull out to that vessel,' he said to the oarsman. Then, turning to the others, he remarked, 
That sloop is the Dripping Blade, commanded by Captain Sorby, whose name strikes terror throughout the Spanish main. Aye, and in other parts of the ocean, I can assure you, for he has sailed northward nearly as far as I have, but he has not yet rivaled me. I know him, having done business with him on shore. He is a most portentous person, as you will soon see. Oh, father, cried Kate, don't take us there. It will kill us just to look upon such dreadful pirates. I pray you turn the boat. Oh, if Dickory were here, gasped Dame Charter, he would turn the boat himself. He would never allow me to be taken among those awful wretches. Mr. Delaplaine said nothing. It was too late to expostulate, but he trembled as he sat. "'I cannot turn back, my dear,' said Bonnet. "'Even if I would, for the great Sorby is now on deck and looking at us as we approach.' As the boat drew up by the side of the dripping blade, the renowned Sorby looked down over the side. He was a red-headed man, his long hair and beard dyed yellow in some places by the sun. He was grievous to look upon, and liked to create in the mind of an imaginative person the image of a sunburned devil on a holiday. "'Good day to you. Good day, Sir Bonnet.' cried the pirate captain. Come on board, come on board, all of you, wife, daughter, father, if such they be. We'll let down ladders, and I shall feast you finely. Nay, nay, good Captain Sorby, replied Bonnet, with courteous dignity. My family and I have just stopped to pay you our respects. They have all heard of your great prowess, for I have told them. They may never have a chance again to look upon another of your fame. Heaven grant it, said Dame Charter in her heart. If I get out of this, I stay upon dry land forever. I grieve that my poor ship be not honored by your ladies, said Sorby, but I admit that her decks are scarcely fit for the reception of such company. It is but to-day that we have found time to cleanse her deck from the stain and disorder of our last fight, having lately come into harbour. That was a great fight, Sir Bonnet. We lay low and let the fellows board us, but not one of them went back again. Ha ha! Not one of them went back again, good ladies. Every pirate face on board that ill-conditioned sloop now glared over her rail, their eyes fixed upon the goodly company in the little boat, their horrid hair and beards stained and matted. It would have been hard to tell by what. "'Oh, father, father!' panted Kate. "'Please row away. What if they should now jump down upon us?' "'Good day, good day, my brave Captain Sorby,' said Bonnet. "'We must e'en row away. "'We have other craft to visit, "'but would first do honour to you and your bold crew.' "'Captain Sorby lifted high his great bespattered hat, "'and every grinning demon of the crew "'wave hat or rag or pail or cutlass 
and set up a discordant yell in honor of their departing visitors. Oh, go not to another, father, pleaded Kate, her pale face in tears. Visit no more of them, I pray you. I, truly, keep away from them, said Mr. Delaplaine. I am no coward, but I vow to you that I shall die of fright if I come close to another of those floating hells. And these, said Kate to herself, her eyes fixed out over the sea, these are his friends, his companions, the wretches of whom he is so proud. There are no more vessels like that in port, said Bonnet. That's the most celebrated sloop. Those we shall now call upon are commanded by men of milder mien. Some of them you could not tell from plain merchantmen were you not informed of their illustrious careers. If you go near another pirate ship, cried Dame Charter, I shall jump overboard. I cannot help it. Row back to the Belinda, brother-in-law, said Mr. Delaplaine in a strong, hard voice. Your tour of pleasure is not fit for tender-hearted women, nor, I grant it, for gentlemen of my station. There are other ships whose captains I know, said Bonnet, and where you would have been well received, but if your nerves are not strong enough for the courtesies I have to offer, we will return to the Belinda. When safe again on board their vessel, after the sudden termination of their projected tour of calls on pirates, Kate took her father aside and entered into earnest conversation with him, while Mr. Delaplaine, much ruffled in his temper, although in general of a most mild disposition, set aside to Dame Charter. He is as mad as a March hare. What other parent on this earth would convey his fair young daughter into the society of these vile wild beasts, which in his eyes are valiant heroes? We must get him back with us, Dame Charter, we must get him back, and if he cannot be constrained by love and good will to a decent and a Christian life, we must shut him up. And if his daughter weeps and raves, we must even stiffen our determination and shut him up. It shall be my purpose now to hasten the return of the brig. There's room enough for all, and he and the Scotchman must go back with us. The governor shall deal with him, and, whether it be on my estate or behind strong bars, he shall spend the rest of his days upon the island of Jamaica, and so know the sea no more. He was very much roused, this good merchant, and when he was roused he was not slow to act. The captain of the Belinda was very willing to make a profitable voyage back to Jamaica, but his vessel must be well laden before he could do this. Goods enough there were at Belize for that purpose, for Blackbeard's supplies were all for sale and his chief clerk, Bonnet, had the selling of them. So, all parties being like-minded, the Belinda soon began to take on goods for Kingston. Steed Bonnet superintended 
everything. He was a good man of business, and knew how to direct people who might be under him. There was a great stir at the storehouse, and, almost blithely, Ben Greenway worked day and night to make out invoices and to prepare goods for shipment. Bonnet wore no more the clothes in which his daughter had first seen him after so long and drear a parting. On deck or on shore, in storehouse or on the streets of Belize, he was the fine gentleman with the silk stockings and the tall cocked hat. One day, a fellow, fresh from his bottle, forgetting the respect which was due to fine clothes and to Blackbeard's factor, called out to Bonnet. "'What now, Sir Nightcap? How call you that thing you have on your head?' In an instant a sword was whipped from its scabbard, and a practice hand sent its blade through the arm of the jester, who presently fell backward. Bonnet wiped his sword upon the fellow's sleeve, and, advising him to get up and try to learn some manners, coolly walked away. After that, fine clothes were not much laughed at in Belize, for even the most disrespectful ruffians desired not the thrust of a quick blade, nor the ill-will of that most irascible pirate, Blackbeard. A few days before it was expected that the Belinda could be ready to sail, Bonnet came on board, his mind full of an important matter. Calling Mr. Delaplaine and Kate aside, he said, I have been thinking a great deal lately about my Scotchman, Ben Greenway. In the first place, he is greatly needed here, for many of Blackbeard's goods will remain in the storehouse, and there should be some competent person to take care of them and to sell them should opportunity offer. Besides that, he is a great annoyance to me, and I have long been trying to get rid of him. When I left Bridgetown, I had not intended to take him with me, and his presence on board my ship was a mere accident. Since then he has made himself very disagreeable. What? cried Kate. Would you be willing that we should all sail away and leave poor Ben Greenway in this place by himself? "'Among these cruel pirates?' "'He'll represent Blackbeard,' said Bonnet. "'And no one will harm him. "'And, moreover, this enforced stay "'may be of the greatest benefit to him. "'He has a good head for business, "'and he may establish himself here "'in a very profitable fashion "'and go back to Barbados, "'if he so desires, in comfortable circumstances.' All we have to do is to slip our anchor and sail away at some moment when he is busy in the town. I will leave ample instructions for him, and he shall have money. Father, it would be shameful, said Kate. Mr. Delaplaine said nothing. He was too angry to speak, but he made up his mind that Ben Greenway should be apprised of Bonnet's intentions of running away from him and that such a wicked design should be thwarted. This brother-in-law of his was a worse man than he had thought him. 
he was capable of being false even to his best friend he might be mad as a march hare but truly he was also as sly and crafty as a fox in any month in the year wise mr delaplaine the very next morning there came a letter from steed bonnet to his daughter kate in which he told her that it was absolutely impossible for him to return to the humdrum and stupid life of sugar-planting and cattle-raising having tasted the glories of a pirate's career he could never again be contented with playing country pursuits so he was off and away the bounding sea beneath him and the brave jolly roger floating over his head he would not tell his dear daughter where he was gone or what he intended to do for she would be happier if she did not know he sent her his warmest love and desired to be most kindly remembered to her uncle and to dame charter he would make it his business that a correspondence should be maintained between him and his dear kate and he hoped from time to time to send her presents which would help her to know how constantly he loved her he concluded by admitting that what he had said about ben greenway was merely a blind to turn their suspicions from his intended departure if his good brother-in-law out of kindness to the scotchman had brought him to the belinda and had insisted on keeping him there it would have made his bonnet's secret departure a great deal easier kate had never fainted in her life but when she had finished this letter she went down flat on her back leaving his niece to the good offices of dame charter mr delaplaine breathing hotly went ashore accompanied by the captain when they reached the storehouse they found it locked with the key in the custody of a shopkeeper nearby they soon heard what had happened to blackbeard's business agent he had gone off in a piratical vessel which had sailed for somewhere in the middle of the night and moreover it was believed that the scotchman who worked for him had gone with him for he had been seen running towards the water and afterward taking his place among the oarsmen in a boat which went out to the departing vessel may that unholy vessel be sunk as soon as it reaches the open sea was the deadly desire which came from the heart of mr delaplaine but the wish had not formed itself into words before the good merchant recanted i totally forgot that faithful scotchman he sighed end of chapter twenty five recording by mag Turisek.